For your outlines, you'd notice that we're in the beginning of a brand new series called Knowing God. And um, we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to pull them out and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Now, knowing God, to know somebody, you need to know some of the attributes. And so we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks are the attributes of God. And A.W. Tozer wrote a, uh, wrote a book, and his, you'll, you'll see that there on the screen. It's the knowledge of the Holy One. And as a basis of this series, I want to give credit to A.W. Tozer, which this series and this book has been very helpful to me in my study as we look at the attributes of God. Now today, I want to quote to get us off on the right foundation, I want to lay the foundation, and I would like you to listen very carefully to some wisdom of yesteryear. He says this, and I quote from his book, A low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of hundreds of lesser evils everywhere among us. A low view of God. In other words, we've downsized him. You go to McDonald's, you want to upsize. Well, actually, you don't want to upsize, but they want you to upsize him. Today, I want you to upsize God at the end of the series. He goes on. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come a further loss of godly awe and consciousness of his presence in our daily lives. Therefore, We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet with God in adoring silence. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper today. This loss of awareness of majesty of God has just has come just as churches are starting to be more prosperous than in any time in the past several hundred years. But the alarming thing is that our gains are mostly external and our losses are wholly internal. The only way to recoup our spiritual losses is to go back to the cause of them and make such corrections as the truth warrants. The decline of the knowledge of the Holy One has brought on our troubles. A rediscovery of the majesty of God will go a long way towards curing them. It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. Nearly there. If we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as He is. In one sentence, which will sum it up, He says this What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that one more time. It summarizes all that. What comes to our mind 
when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. So Paul here is going to talk to us and about his goal in his life. And he says that the goal of Paul's life was to know Christ and the power, know him, know him, and the power of his resurrection. So what is God really like? Not what the TV says, not what books say, or not what book traditions say, but what is he really, really, really like? So to start us off today, getting to know God, I want us to look at a very important issue, and that is what does God know about you? What does he know about you? Hebrews 4 verse 13 says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Everything, juxtapositioned, is uncovered and laid bare to him to whom we must give a what? An account. The Bible says there that nothing in creation is hidden from God. And in Psalm, the next verse, Psalm 147, verse 5, not new outline, I don't think, his understanding has no limit. There's no limit to God's understanding. Now, what these verses are talking about is a theological word which you may have heard before. It's called omniscience. The omniscience of God. He knows everything. That means that God knows everything. There's no question that he cannot answer. And and there's no problem that confuses him. And there are no surprises to God. You need to get that deep in your heart. What's the scope of his knowledge? Well, firstly... At first blush, it may sound unusual, but it differentiates him from us. And that's that he knows everything about himself. He knows everything about himself. Do you know that you don't know all about yourself? You don't. And neither do I. The things that I thought I could do, (laughs) and I can't. The things I thought I couldn't do, and guess what? I can. (laughs) So I don't even know all about myself. I'm not the greatest authority on myself. If I elevate my understanding of myself, I'm going to end up in a whole pile of trouble. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11. Secondly, God knows all. He knows all about creation. He knows everything about all he's made. And the Bible says in Genesis 1, verse 31, after God had finished making the world, he saw everything that he had made, and behold, everything. We can only see a very limited point of view, or a slice. God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. Now that's an amazing statement to make right there. God saw everything. Every rock, every grain of sand, Every fish and every bird, everything, every animal and every star, he saw everything. He was totally aware of everything that he had created. And the Bible says, even down to this aspect in Matthew 10, 29, 
that every time a sparrow falls to earth, God notices. Not like us. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. So God knows everything about creation. Also, number three, God knows everything about history. Going backwards. In the past. God knows the past. Known to God, says Acts 15, 18, from eternity are all of his works. He knows everything in the past. He knows everything that's happened. He knows the present today. Everything that's happening right now, right across the world, right across the Milky Way, and the entire system. The eyes of the Lord are every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good, says Proverbs 15. He knows not just the past, not just the present, but he also knows the future. Isaiah 46, verse 9, second half of that verse onwards. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times not yet, and, and things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. He will. So he knows everything that will ever happen as well. So he knows the scope of history from beginning uh, to end. But what does God know about you? You individually. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that God knows everything about you. That he's intimately acquainted with you and your particular set of unique individual circumstances. And we say, of course God knows of everything. But do we really act like he knows everything about us? Today I want to remind you of five specific areas that God knows everything about in your life. And the difference that it'll make if you remember these facts. Number one, God knows all about your faults and your failures. He knows all about those. Whoa. Now that can be disturbing news, right? (laughs) It can be very disturbing. Psalm 69 verse 5 says this, My sins, O God... They're not hidden from you. You know how foolish I have been. So God knows everything about us. Now the fact is sometimes we want to forget the omniscience of God. Because it's very uncomfortable for me to realize that I don't have any secrets from God. Perhaps there are things, some things I'd rather not know about me. And maybe that's the same for you. But the reality is, this is the truth. I don't have any secrets from God and neither do you. Because God knows everything. Like Adam, when things go wrong, when we do something wrong, we try to hide our sins as if you can hide from God, right? So when God comes walking through the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Have you ever thought of that strange question? 
Let me tell you, God was not unaware of their location or what had just transpired in the garden. Here's a thought. Whenever God asks a question, it is never for information. That passage kind of describes how we deal with children sometimes who wants to restore when we want to restore our children. But first, we want them to admit what they've done. Helen, what have you done? (laughs) I want her to confess and admit what they have done. Likewise, when God says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He did not know that. <laughs> he went, ah, well, we kind of got into a fight, God, and I killed him. That's what he wants him to say. He wanted Cain to admit it. So whenever God asks for information, seemingly, that's what we call an anthropomorphism. And what it's really trying to get is he wants the person who's perpetrated the, uh, the, the sin, or the crime in this case, to fess it up. Out to him to have an honest dialogue. Proverbs 5.21 reminds us that for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. And he examines all of his past. Does that mean my business dealings, Lord? Yes, it does. Does that mean my attitudes in my home? Yes. He examines all of his paths. See, we always have an audience. You, friend, if you are a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter. God knows everything. Nothing you say is ever, air quote, off the record. Ever. Ever. Do you remember that when Jesus said, you will have to give an account for every idle word, every, that's individual specific word that you speak. Nothing is off the record. God sees it all. Everything that you think, everything you look at, God knows. How you feel, God sees it all. And he knows all about it. That's part of his omniscience. Now the devil, though, will often try and tempt us with the lie, well, nobody will ever know. It's late at night. And I can wipe my tracks. No, you can't. That's a lie of the devil. What if they find out? Then he'll tell you. What if my parents find out about what I've been doing? What about my wife? Here's another one. What about if the IRD find out? And we worry. The fact is, is you may want to write this in. God is not shocked by my sin. He already knows what you've done. Just like for Cain, just like for Adam, put your name in there. Ian, Harry, Norman, doesn't matter. Robert, he knows. And he knows all of my faults. And he knows all of my weaknesses. That's biblical. So when we confess to him the wrong that we've done, he doesn't go, I never knew that, Harry. Whoa. Or Ian. He's not surprised. He saw it coming. And he knows why we ended up in that pickle. Now the good news, 1 John 3.20 says this, For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than the hearts, and he knows everything. 
So he understands our faults and our failures. So what should my response be to that? Knowing that he knows, what should my response be to that? Well, here it is. I need to be honest with God and admit it. I need to be honest with God and just admit it. Hard to do that sometimes because we don't even want to admit it to ourselves. But God says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. That's what the scriptures say. Now the Bible says, in fact, right next to it, 1 John 1 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. That's a dangerous place to be. So we admit it. God, this is what the admission looks like. God, you are right and I am wrong. Forgive me. And then again, the next verse in 1 John 1 9, if we confess our, if, notice that word, it's a conditional promise here. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Thank the Lord. From all unrighteousness. I love that word all. All of it. A whole lot. But there's a condition. If we confess. So God knows everything about me. No use trying to hide it. He already knows all the wrong I've done. And he still loves me. That gives me a headache sometimes. That, doesn't, that means though, therefore, there's an implication here. I don't have to fake it. I don't have to pretend. This is a great verse in Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions or sins will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes. It's no use going, God, I'm sorry, and then keep on doing it. God, I'm sorry. My mum used to say it, quite frankly. She said, Ian, you're not sorry if you keep on doing it. Okay, mum, that's a fair, fair point. <laughs> but I hated that. I wanted to feel sorry, but half the time I think it's because I got caught. Now notice, confession and turning away from sins, what does it result in? God's mercy and his forgiveness. So if you want God's mercy and forgiveness, then you need the confession and the turning away. That's repentance. Repentance means, I, oh, I thought I was going the right way, but you know what? That ain't the right way, so you turn around and you go the other way. That's turning around. That's what it means to repent. Not, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I know I'm going the wrong way, but I'm still going to do it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's not, that's not confession. That's not repentance. Number two. God knows about all of my feelings. Yeah. And my frustrations. He knows all about every one of us. Some of us men want to forget that. Oh, I don't need that. Actually, you do. Psalm 31 verse 7. You, God, have listened to all of my troubles. Seems like the psalmist was in trouble a lot. And there was a lot of them. All of my troubles. The things that hurt. And you've seen the crisis in my soul. The crisis in my soul. Some of you think, well, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody. Nobody feels the pain inside. But can I tell you that is absolutely not true. God knows. How precious is it that God even knows, not just the facts, but my feelings 
and my frustrations. He knows them. And he's seen the crisis in my soul. Psalm 56 verse 6. More good news. You know how troubled I am. And you have kept a record of my tears. There is no hurt that goes unnoticed. No disappointment. He sees it all. He's all-knowing. Often when we're hurting, we feel very lonely and obviously isolated. Maybe there's been a death in the family. Or there's been a nun. Well, there's been a divorce maybe even. Or maybe just plain simple got fired. And we feel all alone and think nobody understands. Nobody feels the pain like I do. Well, God knows. And he understands my hurts, my feelings, and my frustrations. Psalm 103 Verse 13 says this. He is like a father to us. Notice his characteristics. This is factual and accurate about how God is. He is tender and sympathetic. Here's the word again. You may want to circle it. For he knows we are made of dust. He's a creator. Now the fact is, God is sympathetic to my hurts and your hurts. That's the fact. Next slide. Not only does he see, he cares. Nobody else may or appear to. So what should I do? Psalm 142, verse 3 says, When I'm ready to give up, anybody been there? When I'm ready to give up, he knows what I should do. He knows. Here's that word again. He knows. Now, some of you are ready to give up, and God knows what you ought to do. And my response should be, if he sees all of my hurts, give them to him. Give him my hurts. Don't walk around with that burden all yourself, thinking you're all alone, because that's a lie of the devil. Where does that come from? Well, the classic verse is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says this, Cast all your cares, all of them, the whole lot, the whole shebang, on him, on the Lord, for he cares for you. That is the truth of God's word. Cast them all and don't take them back. Give him your hurts just like you give him your faults in every area because he knows about them all. Number three, this is a really, it's a bit of a mind blower for us, and that's this. God knows my future. God knows my future. He knows all my future, even before I was born. What? Yes. He wanted you on this earth. He designed you. Psalm 139 verse 16. Look at this carefully, slowly. The days allotted to me had all, past tense, been recorded in your book before any of them ever began. Whoa! Before you were even born, God has a purpose for your life. You're not some random piece of chemical scum that happened to get some intelligence. God planned you. Jeremiah 29, 
Now, sometimes this verse is very badly misused, but one thing you can draw safely from it is God has plans for your life to give you a hope and a future. See, because here's how this works. If you are just a bunch of random, you're a materialist. There's nothing but atoms and molecules and quarks. There is no future and there is no hope because you're a random, meaningless, and purposeless moist robot with no free will. I won't dive too deep into that now. (laughs) But the point is, there is zero hope on this scale. You came from nothing and you're going to nothing. That's exactly what that says. Materialism. We don't believe that. We know that's wrong. Because the Lord says, before you were born, I knew you. Circle in that, even in 2911 there, for I know He said, oh, knowing again, I know the plans. He knows your future. Everybody's interested in the future. It's interesting to me the things that people will try sometimes to know what their future holds. Some people go exactly against what the scriptures say. They dabble in things which the scriptures condemn. Some of those things will be horoscopes, seances, astrology. I'm not talking about astronomy. That's a whole different deal. Reading tea leaves. Consulting with so-called rip-off psychics. Biorhythms used to be the old rage. There's a bunch of junk. People try all kinds of things to figure out what's going to happen next. And they're all going to the wrong source. None of those acknowledge God. God is the one that has the plans and he knows where you're going. There is somebody who knows what's going to happen next. It's God. The fact is this. God sees my tomorrow today. That's the next fact. He sees my tomorrow today. He's not limited by time like we are. He can see the past, the present, and the future all at once. Now, things may surprise me, but they're never going to surprise God. Actually, nothing ever catches God by surprise. He already sees the things that we will face in the future. He sees all of my tomorrows today. And that gives me huge confidence in God. Therefore, my response is, if I know that God knows all my tomorrows, then I should ask him for advice. Nobody else. Because they don't know. Ask him. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says this. Call unto me and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. Why? Because I am all-knowing. Do you know this? This may shock you. God can't learn anything. Because he knows everything. Perfectly. And there's no changing with God. We'll get into that in another session. The things you don't know, God can tell you about. Now, one thing I've noticed, he doesn't lay your entire life out all at once. He'll lay it out little by little. And he says, call to me and I will advise you. In fact, the spirit within us, one of his jobs and his name is counselor. Counselor. I'll give you advice because I know what's going to happen. So God says, number one, God knows all of my faults and he knows all of my failures. Yet, the good news is he still loves me. Number two, God knows all of my frustrations and all of my feelings. 
and he cares. Number three, God knows all of my future, so, implication, I can ask him for advice. Where else am I going to go? Number four, God knows all of my fears. All of my fears. He knows everything that gets you uptight, that winds you up. In Matthew 6, 31 through 32, Jesus says this. This is your Savior talking to you. So do not worry. Do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father, circle that word again, knows what you need and that you need them. He knows what you need. When you don't remember that God knows what you need, then you worry. That's what happens. Worry is a result of not realizing the omniscience of God. And when I think that God's unaware, then I tend to think he doesn't care. And then I make a big mistake. I take matters into my own hands, just like Abraham did. God had a plan, God had a purpose, but Abraham got itchy and decided he wanted to speed up God's plan. But when you know God knows, it brings a great emotional stability in your life and you will not be rock, baby. You'll be solid. You'll be tight. Not in your own self-sufficiency, but in his sufficiency. Matthew 6, 8, again. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And the fact is, God is aware of all of my needs. And by the way, this may be a revelation, but prayer is never giving God information. You may want to write that down somewhere. Prayer is never giving God information. God does not need reporters on earth to tell him what's going on. <gasps> God, did you know what happened last week when this outrageous thing happened? Of course he knows. Normally what I would, I would say, my father in the faith taught me, says, Lord, as you already know, because he does, you know what's going on. He already knows what's going on in your life. So why pray then? Why pray if God already knows? See, God ordains prayer as a means of accomplishing his purpose on earth. Prayer, listen carefully, is not a means by we change God's mind. Let me be blunt. That's, that sounds bad. Let me be clear. You cannot change God's mind. Because God is immutable. I am the Lord, I change not. For him to change means he'd have to have made a mistake. Oh, I forgot about that. Some of you need to adjust some of your theology around this. Prayer is not a means by which we change God's mind. Prayer is not a means of getting our will done in heaven, but a means of God getting his will done on earth. And he's waiting for you to ask him for help, and he's waiting to offer it. He says, you have not because you ask not. So because God knows all of my needs, my response needs to be this. Don't worry. Don't worry and trust God. Where do you get that from? Philippians 4, 6 is where I get it from. 
don't worry about anything. That's a very big word. Instead, oh, so I can just forget? No, 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 no. Instead of spending all of this effort worrying and stewing, worrying is stewing without doing. It says here, instead of worrying and spending all that time and all that energy and all that emotional energy on worrying, instead of that, pray about everything. So take the energy, that time slice that you would have burnt for nothing, and put it into prayer. That's what he says there, Philippians 4.6. Fifth, and finally, God knows all about my faithfulness. He knows. He knows. Every time I do the right thing, God is watching. Every time I resist the temptation and choose not to sin, God is watching. Every time I stand for kingdom values against the tide of this world and not cave into it, it's going to be costly, and God is watching. God sees my faithfulness to him. Matthew 6, 1 and 4. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Then, when you don't do that, you've got a different motivation, then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And the fact is here that every good deed will be rewarded regardless of whether anybody sees it or not. Every encouragement you give to other people, especially in the church family, Every kind word that you give to your children. Scriptures even say, fathers, don't exasperate your kids. That's a whole other message. But every thoughtful act that you do for your husband or your wife. Every time you set up chairs for his bride, his body, and serve his church, God notices Every time you give an offering sacrificially, God knew how much you had left over. Every time you had an opportunity to gossip, be negative, but you didn't. Every time you had the opportunity to be critical, but instead you built up his bride. God sees it all, and he will reward you. Friends, never let anybody at New Hope ever be tempted to pull down the body of Christ. It's his bride. It is impossible to say, Jesus, I love you, but I don't love your church. That's like somebody saying to me, Ian, I like you, but I don't like your wife. You say that, you're in for a fight. Be very careful. Let God be the judge of others. And let pastors deal with pastors on that issue. As for you and me, we get on with loving his bride. Being a Christian means living my life, in this case, for an audience of one. An audience of one. God. Because he's all that counts. It doesn't really matter how I foo-foo appear in public, like the Pharisees who had their fancy pants clothes on, 
and all of their special paraphernalia. What matters, friend, is how we are in private. What matters is integrity in my life where nobody else is looking. By the way, somebody is looking. (laughs) God. That is a tremendous motivator to live a godly life. But when we forget that, we're so easily seduced by the wicked desires within us. And when we fully realize that nothing in my life is secret, God sees it all. Oh, we may fool some people some of the time, but there's one person that you're never going to fool, and that, of course, is God. And it's his opinion that's going to be decisively count in eternity, his audience of one. And God says, I know all your faithfulness. I saw what you did in my name. So what should my response be? I see all the good things... God sees, if, so let's try again. if God sees all of the good things that I do, and he's out there cheering me on, and I'm going to get credit for them all eventually, then my response should be this. Do not be discouraged. That's a practical application. Do not be discouraged. Some of you have been trying, saying, well, I've been trying to do the right thing in my marriage, but I don't see any results. Or some of these, I've been trying to be the right kind of person who responds correctly to my kids or to my parents. Or some of you say, well, I've tried to be a good testimony at my school or uni. And frankly, Pastor Ian, I'm not so sure it's paying off right now because I don't see it making an impact in anybody's life. God would say to you this, I see it. I know about it. And no good thing will go unrewarded. Every act of kindness done in love, God records it all. Nothing good that you ever do do, is done in vain. Look at this fantastic verse, NIV version, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Hold up, stand firm. Let nothing move you from your post. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not. That's where we get it from. And one last verse I can think of here is Galatians 6, 9. It says, let us not become weary in what? In doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Matthew 10 goes on to say, even if you give a cup of cold water in the name of Christ, God says, you're going to get credit for it. You're going to get credit. Just one cup of cold water? Yeah. So knowing that God knows everything in my life can either, as I said in the beginning, be very disturbing or it can be very comforting. It depends upon my relationship to him, whether I'm trying to fool him or not. So which of these five areas that we've just looked at today have you been acting as if God is totally unaware of? Was it God knows all of my faults and failures? Have you been tempted to pretend that God doesn't know the wrong things that you're involved in? Is that that area? Maybe you said to yourself, well, no one will ever know. And again, you may be fooling other people, given, but you're not fooling God.
So you need to admit it. If that's you, and ask God to forgive you. Because God will provide a way out of it. Second area we looked at there was God knows all of my feelings and my frustrations. And maybe you're hurting here today. And maybe you've been saying, no one that I know understands me. And you've been telling yourself that for so long that you have forgotten that God does understand. He's seen the crisis of your soul and he's seen every tear and every frustration. Look to him for comfort. Look to him for strength. And realize he understands you even better than you understand yourself. Number three. How about the, the thought, those of you feeling a little lost about the future. Have you remembered that God knows your future, that he's already there? He's with you today in the present, but he's also in the future. And nothing catches him by surprise. Let me be a little focused on this one. If you're, one, if you're married, one day, one of you is going to die first. And we'll lose, one of us is going to lose a mate first. And that can be an incredibly heart-wrenching time. But the fact is, God already knows when that's going to happen. Because to each of us, is a lot of a certain number of days. And he will be there waiting to comfort you and hold you in his arms. So you can come to him now and say, God, when that time comes, would you give me the wisdom, the strength... And the knowledge of what to do and how to handle it. Because it's not going to catch you by surprise. Because remember, God knows all the future. So you ask him for advice. Are you afraid in this case that your needs will not be met? Then the Bible says that your heavenly father knows what you need ahead of time. So instead of worrying, why don't you start trusting? Because he knows your needs. And then lastly... God knows all of my faithfulness. If you've been stuck or struck with a particular bout of discouragement, trying to do what's right, and you've been thinking, well, I've been trying to do what the Bible says, but I don't think anybody appreciates it. Nobody seems thankful. I don't even know whether it's worth it. Friend, can I tell you this? If you live your life for an audience of one, God knows, and God will reward you. And the amazing thing in life is that God does know. And he knows even the hairs I have on my head. And they're numbered. But friends, let me leave you with this thought. Nobody knows you like God does. One. And number two. Nobody loves you like God does. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Some of you in this, listening to this today, I want to ask you, would you turn your life fully over to God? He made you. He knows you. He has a purpose for your life. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world to die for you. And he brought you here today and to listen to this. You're not here by accident. And he wants to say this to you. I love you. I know all about you, and I love you. Why wouldn't you open your heart up to him right now if you've never done that before? Just where you are and say, Jesus Christ, I know you know all about me, 
and yet somehow you still love me? Would you say, God, I admit that I've made a mess of some areas of my life that I thought I had sorted. And I need your Spirit's help. I don't want to live without you anymore, without you being front and center in my life. I ask you today to forgive me for the things that I've done wrong, my sins, and clear out and clean out my conscience. I need you, Lord. Jesus Christ, as much as I know how today, I ask you to come into my life and help me follow you by the power of your Spirit. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you know us so well like no one else, and yet you love us like no one else. Today, Lord, there are some that are opening their heart to you, some for the very first time, some who are getting more serious about you, Lord. Some are becoming Christians and believers, and they're opening their lives to your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for their decisions, and I pray that our church will help them grow and understand the relationship you want to have with us and help us build them up in the precious faith. Help us live each day knowing that you know everything. In your precious name I ask it. Amen.